Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. There's, there's nothing more relaxing than disco. Adrift with Jeff Lloyd and Annabelle Port. And sitting in the Annabelle chair this week, her new book is called Faking Friends. It comes out in January. I'm joined by writer Jane Fallon. Hello. Hello. Hey, uh, we follow each other on Twitter and I've been very emotionally invested recently in your quest to find Linda McCartney mock duck. Yes, indeed. And I found it. It's hard to come by, I tell you. Really hard to come by, but I found it. There are a couple of places you can get it. So she, she made a lot of this stuff before she died and, and then stockpiled it. And then, we you know... <laughs> I don't think that's what Right. <laughs> no. But it's very good. It is very good. It is great. If you've ever, you know, if you're a vegetarian and you've ever sort of missed that uh, pancakes and hoisin sauce sensation, this really will scratch that itch for you. Yeah, exactly. It's all about the hoisin sauce. You've got to really load it up and then mm. you absolutely feel like you're eating the Real thing. But in the best possible way. But in the best possible way. I remember once being at a party years ago and a guy started like having a real go at me saying I wasn't a proper vegetarian because I liked eating fake meat. I have a relation, I won't say who they are, who says exactly that, who says it's wrong to like the taste of real meat. But I ate meat for 30 something years. Yeah. And if anything, like it's easy to be a vegetarian if you don't like meat. Exactly. You just cut yeah, something exactly. out we're that you don't like. Yeah. But yeah, we're, we're, we're making that. So we're better people. Definitely. It's always been a strange, um, strange mentality, that to me. Um, I'm glad they don't make it look like animals, though. No, I know. Last year for Christmas... Usually I make like a nice nut roast or something for Christmas. And I, I love a nice nut roast. But last year I thought, oh, I'm going to try a tofurkey. There's a thing called a tofurkey, which is like a tofu. Yes, I've heard turkey. of it, but I've never, I've never seen one. Well, I saw one eventually because actually it got, I ordered it online and the first one got lost. They send it frozen and the first one got lost and turned up after about two weeks, all defrosted and disgusting, sitting on my doorstep. <laughs> where had it been in the, where it been in the interim? I've got no idea. Some of my mail honestly goes to the weirdest <laughs> places. So I ordered another one and it does, they don't make it look like a turkey, but it has a slight meat roast shape to it and a bit of the colour of a sort of slightly off turkey and it just kind of put me off a bit. Weird. Yeah, it wasn't right. I'm not doing that again this year. There's not like fake bones or anything like that. Oh God, no. No, no head on it or anything. <laughs> like little feet sticking a out beak. the bottom. <laughs> so what, what year did you become vegetarian? 
it was only actually maybe five, six years ago. Uh-huh. Something like that. Oh, I judge Jan as probably someone who had met his murder in 1980, whatever it would have been, and then made the change. Well, no, I did have meet his murder in 1980, whatever it was. No, I cut down and cut down. I, ne- I didn't eat red meat for pro- probably, it's probably 15 years since I ate red meat, but I still sort of did that slightly pathetic clinging on to chicken and bacon, mm. which people do. And then uh, actually, it, bizarrely, it was my relationship with a Twitter pig that made me realise I was being a hypocrite and I had to stop with it all because there was one day they were going to kill the kill the twitter pig well no they're not because she lives on a sanctuary right. thankfully but i was completely you know how you get slightly besotted with these twitter animals yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you have literally no idea who you're actually talking to um but i became completely besotted with her and i started to think this is ridiculous that i bang on about this pig all the time mm. and i'll still eat bacon it's mm. just ludicrous so that's what finally stopped me i used to have a thing whereby i would my, my rule was uh i'll eat anything that's um never had a face <laughs> never had a face yeah. like if it had one and it's somehow mysteriously disappeared then, then I won't, yeah. won't eat it yeah but, uh, yeah. Uh, um, and that was my excuse to carry on eating like oysters and mussels because right, yeah. and, and um, what they call scallops because I would look at them and I'd feel like there's no way that's alive it's no more alive than a mushroom and then I got into a conversation on a train with a marine biologist who explained to me the family networks that mussels and things have oh, no. and then I started feeling really bad because I do still eat some fish which ones? Which ones? Yeah. Well, there was one called <laughs> Jeff the other day. Um, well, I eat, I do eat kind of haddock and things like that. And I'm trying to stop. I but, you're, eat... but you're not drawing a line to do with cuteness. No, no, no. I'm not drawing a line to do with cuteness. I'm drawing a line more in that I need to get my vegetarian protein repertoire better. Mm. And then I'll cut it out. I just settle with being sort of malnourished, but I, <laughs> I'm simultaneously poorly nourished and overweight. <laughs> which I, I always find it strange when you see an overweight vegan. I know. I don't know how that's possible. Um, I think chips. They just eat chips. Yeah, yeah, and a lot of bread. Yeah. There, there is something about. So my wife is probably at this point like eighty percent vegetarian. Does Ricky eat vegetarian? This is a he's, yeah. He's the same as me. He eats fish still. Right. Yeah. So she, 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 every now and again, so we were in America last week and her brother runs this sandwich stall and she really wanted one of his BLTs. So she'll like dip in every now and again, but at home there's never really any meat in the house. But then she was in Edinburgh over the summer and she was spending time with a lot of comedians, many of whom, I don't know if you've noticed this, but like a young generation of comedians, all vegan, mm. like going crazy with veganism. And she came back and she was vegan for about a week. And I really disliked not having the moral high ground. <laughs> I try to do vegan when I can. If I go to a, a cafe or something and I see a vegan option, I get very excited. Yeah. But I haven't been able to, I can't quite make that transition yet. I do feel like I will, do, I feel like I, it sounds like such a cop out and people will tell me that I'm just be, being avoidant, but I feel like once we stop traveling so much, because traveling and being vegan is a nightmare. Mm. I once, someone once ticked the box for me on, I think it was United Airlines and they ticked vegan instead of vegetarian. And the, it was a long flight. It was like New York to LA. So it's a six hour flight. And the meal that they gave me, there was a perfectly lovely vegetarian option on the menu. They told me I wasn't allowed to have that. The meal that they gave me was a bowl of white rice. That was it. Like literally it. And I said, have you even got any soy sauce or anything? I've brought it. And they said, no, nothing. And I said, can't I order the vegetarian option on the menu? No. Nope. No, I've, I've had this before. Yeah. I've had this before where I've ordered the vegetarian option and then the actual vegetarian option on the menu they give out, give out on the little cards on the plane looks far more appealing. Mm. And I said, can I have that instead? And they say, no, sorry, you, you've ordered the special meal. I don't want the special meal. I just want to be ordinary. Give somebody else the special meal. Exactly. That happened to me a couple of weeks ago, that exact thing. And the, it was fine. The meal was fine. The, mm. the one on the menu looks slightly nicer, but the frustration thing was 
My one came with some fruit for dessert. Instead of a proper Instead pudding. Instead of a proper pudding. What's that all about? <laughs> yeah, that's what happens. What's, um, what's, so would, would that be your worst sort of veggie experience, being given just rice and nothing else? Yeah, that was pretty bad. That really was pretty bad. I think, yeah, otherwise I've been fairly lucky. I mean, I think things have changed so much that you can get such fantastic vegetarian food now, um, you know, if you know where to look. I was in the south of France once and uh, in this in this restaurant and I said, I'm uh, vegetarian. He said, okay, so what's that? I said, no meat, no fish. He says, okay, well, we have uh, a goose liver soup. <laughs> I said, I'm sorry, does that not have goose liver in it? And he says, yes, but it is in a soup. And, like, I've spent many, many hours over the years trying to work out what the logic is in soup that. Soup is vegetarian. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's the rule. That's hilarious. That's the loophole, the soup hole. Um yeah, I tend to think with like my vegetarianism, I'm still at a point where I can kid myself that if I'm um, having some cheese, then you know it's a nice, there's there's been a milkmaid in, on a stool involved somewhere. <laughs> yeah. You just sort of pretend that in your head that there's a nice little cow who's looked after it. She's got a bell around her neck, and somebody's sitting on a stool milking her, and it's all fine. I know because actually, when I think about dairy, I get that's the thing that really still stresses me out about my diet i think the dairy industry is it's like one of the worst the trick the trick is i find with dairy is not to think about it <laughs> good good <laughs> i think avoidance is the best strategy yeah, sometimes when you're not paying attention you didn't even realize you're in a sewer that's not the case here right now you're on a lake and it's it's really nice Jeff Lloyd and Annabelle Port, Adrift. It's a play on words about water. All right, I have some email here. Love to hear from you. Some topics we've got on the go include shyness is nice, um, misjudging the mood, lengths you've gone to to avoid something, faking it but not making it, um, places you can never show your face again, and just general failed human interactions. This first one comes from Varun. Um, I think there's some advice required with this one, so we can, we can see what we can do here, Jane. It says, I'm a graduate student and I live on a beautiful university campus. In a fit of misplaced enthusiasm, I signed up to run half a marathon a while ago. Um, while on one of my practice runs, I happened to see the familiar face of my faculty guide in the distance. I cut up with him and, not wanting to seem rude, wished him a good morning. However, there was no response from his side. There's no way he could have missed me as every piece of running equipment I own has reflective panels on them and I was wearing a particularly garish neon green t-shirt on this occasion. I'd normally have pushed it out of my mind except I'd had a very productive review meeting with him the previous afternoon and there was no way he could have forgotten me in the intervening 12 hours. So I did the only thing a person can do in this situation and changed my route and circled back to a place where I thought I'd run into him again. By now, all thought of running had gone from my mind as I waited under a streetlight to ambush my prey. Soon enough, my guide turned up and I wished him in a louder voice this time. He, he wished him hello in a louder voice this time. He looked at me and was suitably startled, but carried on his way with nary a flicker of recognition crossing his face. Needless to say, the thought of this episode repeating itself has kept me from training any further, and the date for my next review meeting is also fast approaching. I realise that running etiquette might not be one of your areas of expertise, but I would really appreciate advice on how to bring up this incident in any future interaction. Now, you are a runner, right? Well, I was a runner, but I'm injured. I can't run anymore. What happened to you? Story. Oh, God, it's a very long, boring story. Anyway, I've got a long chronic injury in my ankle, and unless uh -huh. I have it operated on, I can't run anymore. So where do you stand on being socialised with whilst running? That I don't mind. The slightly scary hiding behind a bush and jumping out a second time <laughs> and saying hello. I think I'd draw the line there if someone did that to me. But also, I don't... I mean, generally in life, I don't really want to talk to anyone. So a mm. quick hello, maybe... Yeah. I'm thinking it wasn't him. 
Oh, I see. Yeah. You don't just ignore someone. You say hello, you wave and you move on, don't you? But is there an etiquette thing? Because there's the thing with um, therapists where different therapists will have a different approach when they see their clients in the street. Uh, Years ago, I once had this therapist and I I felt like I had a very good rapport with him. I mean, I think at the time I was under the impression that I was possibly his favourite. And because they do have favourites, yeah, they must have, right? We <laughs> all have favourites. Juicy, awful stuff. Yeah. Um, and then it, I, it got to a stage where I was so convinced was his fa- I was his favourite, actually, that I would hold back on some of the more unpleasant <laughs> things, like a soap. Yeah, like yeah. a little cliffhanger at five yeah. to three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Keep him hooked. Um, and, and I saw him in the street with his wife, and I gave him the friendliest hello, and he just kind of nodded and carried on wa- walking. Maybe his it. wife didn't know he was a therapist. Maybe he was an undercover <laughs> therapist. <laughs> she thought he worked in a bank. <laughs> Uh, This one comes from Jane Wells, who says, I have a story that I sometimes think about, and I get that feeling of dread in my stomach. I remember, too, when it happened, I thought to myself, I am never going to be able to forget this. I've been living in Finland for a year or so, and by this time, I'd learned pretty good conversational finish. I was in a car with some ladies from my rugby team on our way to an away game. One of the people in the car was a teacher, and she was usually pretty good about speaking to me in Finnish so I could learn. I was in the back seat, and she was in the passenger seat. The car was quiet, and I heard in Finnish, so how's it going, or something like that. So I answered in Finnish, something like, yeah, pretty good, thank you, how are you? Then she answered right away that she was good too, and then started talking about something I knew nothing about, which I thought was weird, until I realised she was on her cell phone and had made a phone call to someone while sitting in silence in the front seat. She wasn't even talking to me at all. The rest of the people in the car were completely silent and most definitely knew that this was going on and nobody said anything about it to me during or afterwards. We just went on with our car journey. I sometimes think about it and hope that she's completely forgotten about it, but I know I won't. Uh, writing this doesn't even sound that bad, but I assure you it was just terrible. I have to say it does does sound terrible. So if that makes you feel any better. No, because I've done, I do that all the time mm. though. At home, I do that all the time. <laughs> If I hear my boyfriend on the phone, I'll always just join in. And then when he says something that I feel like it's not quite an appropriate answer, I realise that he's talking to someone else on the phone. I think that's, no, she's fine there. That but woman's the, forgotten it. And, and, but, the, I mean, you couldn't be with anybody better than Finnish people in that situation because they're not going to acknowledge it. <laughs> like, like the Finnish people are the amongst the most repressed people are on. Are they worse than us Brits? Oh, worse than, yeah. Wow. My, my theory is that the sort of higher up in Europe you go, the more repressed you get and the worse the relationship with alcohol becomes. That's definitely true. Yeah. Again, that's the dark, that's the it being dark for 12, 15, years. Yes, we were talking about day, this think, before yeah. before we started the, the tape rolling. Um, there's a there's a joke, I'm trying to remember it now, like but this is like, so you know that there used to be the kind of stereotypical Irish jokes that British people would make. Mm. The Swedes would make stereotypical Finnish jokes. And I think the, the joke with the Finnish guys is uh, two, two Finnish guys go to a bar and uh, order a drink. They get served, two pints of lager. One turns the other and says, cheers. And the other says, cheers. Are we here to talk? Are we here to drink? <laughs> and the, the idea being that Finnish people will just drink in silence. That sounds like my kind of place. Yeah. <laughs> I went Christmas shopping on Saturday. This is how repressed I am mm-hmm. and also how shyness has completely dictates my whole life. I went Christmas shopping on Saturday and I went to a shop and I bought four gifts for four different people in my family from the same shop. And I got to the till and the woman behind the thing said, oh, would you like me to gift wrap them? And they had this really lovely paper. So I said, oh, I thought that would save me a bit of time later on. So I said, oh, yes, thank you very much. So she started. Oh, my God. It was absolutely torturous. She started and 
she sort of fiddled around a bit and then she undid the paper again because it was wonky and then she did it up again. This happened about three or four times. So by now the paper's all creased up. <laughs> like the beautiful paper is now all crinkly and awful. And then she realised that one end was longer than the other. So she got the scissors out and she hacked off the end of the paper. <laughs> so it was an absolute disaster. Did I say anything? No, of course you didn't. I just stood there smiling and... I then watched her go through exactly the same process with three other presents. All the time thinking, I'm going to have to, as soon as I get home, that paper's off and in the bin. But I couldn't bring myself to say anything. Oh, Jane, that's amazing. It's pathetic. <laughs> that's so good. It's really tragic. Uh, this comes from Jack Nicholson. Ooh. And, uh, well, we had um, Michael Douglas, who cuts hair, co-hosting the podcast last week. And I was thinking, that's, that's a name to be saddled with, Michael Douglas. But if anything, Jack Nicholson. I mean, there's no going through life without people mentioning your name no. at every turn. Um, Jack says, 10 years ago, I was a struggling student in Leeds with a huge confidence problem. The course wasn't what I'd hoped for, and my fellow classmates, mostly Southern, constantly berated me for my Yorkshire accent. Still, I stuck at it and got a part-time job that I loved. I felt like life was easing up on me. I felt like I could take a few more risks, and I felt more in control. I was on my way to my favourite sandwich shop on a lunch break from said job when I spotted a man in a wheelchair stuck in the middle of a busy ring road. Traffic was whizzing all around all sides of him. He was spinning his chair around, manically groaning and looking panicked. With my newfound confidence, I did what I thought anyone with a shred of confidence would do and ran out into the middle of the road to help. As I got closer, I realised he was wearing a hospital gown and wristband. Are you okay? Do you need help? I asked. Cars were flying past. I looked at him and I swear his eyes saw sheer terror. It really was quite frightening being in three lanes of fast-moving traffic. He groaned a yes, so I helped wheel him to the side of the road. I felt so proud of myself for helping get into safety, but my feeling of confidence was short-lived. When we were at the roadside, the man started shouting at me, pointing all around, and then even hitting me. He'd snuck out from the hospital for cigarettes, but the news agents he was trying to get to was on the other side of the road. I'd got him to the wrong side. He wheeled himself back towards the hospital, still shouting at me. As I turned around, a small, small crowd of people had gathered close by, tutting at me, shaking their heads, clearly misunderstanding the situation in some way. I felt so small. As luck would have it, the tutting crowd was right outside my favourite sandwich shop. The owner was one of them. Never I, never could I go there again. <laughs> this encounter still haunts me on a regular basis. I still have difficulty helping or approaching people I don't know as a result. It's crippling, but I hope sending this in to you guys will be as cathartic as it was writing it out. I have felt that sometimes. Then think, does that person need help? <laughs> or or will, will it just be uncomfortable? I, I think I'm, I'm more worried about whether the interaction will be uncomfortable than whether yeah. they might actually really need help. Yeah, well, that's my general worry. <laughs> Unless they were lying on the floor screaming, help, please help me. Yeah. Then I think, I think, oh, no, I better not talk to them. These people like need them. to be less ambiguous in their cries yes, for help. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. We yeah. don't need metaphorical cries for help. <laughs> We, we don't need waving our arms around, no, doing need... our wheel, spinning our wheelchair. <laughs> Just say, help me. Um, love to hear from you. If you want to email us, it's uh, hello at adriftpodcast.com. Computer sounds are awesome. Jeff Lloyd and Annabelle Port. Adrift. So another thing I saw on Twitter, Jane, is uh, you you decorated your Christmas tree this weekend. I did. My favourite day of the year. So you you one of these people who collects ornaments as the year goes on. I do. I Because we travel a lot, I feel like... A nice because I don't want a house full of clutter all the time. So I thought a nice way to sort of have things that you can then get out and look at is to get something. But I always try and get the tackiest, tattiest bit of old rubbish from every place we go. So my tree is just I mean, it's gonna fall over one day and kill me, I swear. But it's absolutely dripping in just nonsense. 
Did I see one that said like bollocks on it or something? One says that's from um, in Derek. There was a scene in Derek where uh, the character Kev wrote on crabs, and those were actually made by Holly Dempsey, who was in Derek. She's really crafty and amazing. So she made us the two little crabs, one with bowl and one with ox on, and also another one with twat on. <laughs> so they're all on the trim. We've got various things that like people have given us like that, little, but and other things that I've gone round. There's one, because we've been so many places this year because Ricky's been on tour. So I've got all these like fantastic things, but we went to Jersey in July and you really can't get a Christmas decoration in Jersey in July. Like A lot of other places have year-round Christmas shops. Yeah, there. yeah. So I'd, we were only there for two days. I trawled around the whole of Jersey. In the end, I bought a bottle opener, a Jersey cow bottle opener. So I've had to hang him by his little bottle opening bit and try and disguise the fact that he's actually not a Christmas ornament. It looks quite good, I think. Are you not worried? So we're recording this on what day is it today? Like the 7th or something? 4th. 4th. Yeah. Um, I'm worried that your Christmas tree is going to have dropped all its needles by the time... Oh, it's it gets- fake. Oh, okay. Oh, no, I've got a very good fake that lives in the garage. Yeah, it's too much. Even though I love the smell of a real one, Mm. a few years ago it occurred to me that when you bring that in your house, it may well be crawling with spiders and things like that. Yes. So that slightly put me off. And so ever since then, and also because of the drippage. Mm. So, yeah, I've just got a big fake one. I think I have started to – usually I try and not – it's my birthday next week and I try and not put the Christmas tree up till after my birthday. But for some reason this year I was just – got ahead of myself somebody should do a spray that perfumes your artificial christmas tree i think they do okay i've got a room spray that i spray it with a very nice christmasy fur smelling room spray you don't really hear of fake christmas trees going on fire like no, you used exactly. to. They, they seem to have solved that problem yeah exactly they've solved that problem and actually it's a, it is a really good one someone came around today and said oh i love your tree and i said it's a fake like, no I didn't the, 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 on Twitter. I thought that was a real tree. Yeah, I think I've got away with it till now. I don't. I, I feel a lot of pressure picking out a Christmas tree. Yeah, because if they're also you see these pictures of where uh, towns where they've shelled out for a Christmas tree and it's like a twig. Yes, and everyone's furious. I think there is. You've got to make it properly perfect. Um, how does your cat do with it? She completely ignores it. I know there are a lot of cats sitting in trees. She's not interested at all. Oh, that's wonderful because that's that's always a fear with Christmas baubles and things. That it is wonderful, to. but. She's so cross that we had to move her favourite rug. She has a rug in the hall that she loves. And we had to move her rug in order to put up the Christmas tree. And she's furious. So actually, when I got up yesterday morning, which was, I think, the day after I put the Christmas tree up, she'd weed all over some cushions in the hall just to let me know how furious she was. You really think that was the intent? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It was, she definitely had her nose put out joint because we'd move things around and she didn't really like just, it. And that she communicates unhappiness through the measure, through the medium of urine. Through the medium of we, yeah. And actually, she made a point because she sleeps in the bed with us and every morning because she's so fast asleep I get up really early so I have to pick her up and drag her out of bed and uh so we got out of bed and I didn't even realize that she'd left the room at any point and we went downstairs and she ran over to draw my attention to where she'd done this week she was like got up on the bench she was meowing at me looking at me and I went over and I thought that doesn't smell right here's the question so it, it would appear from twitter that you live in a good sized house what where, where do you draw the line with decorating the rooms well for Christmas you yes mean, oh well ground floor only I put the Christmas radio station on the other day. <laughs> I mean, it was slightly tragic. Yeah, t- spent the whole day doing it up a ladder. It was great. But that, that, that is fun. Decorating for Christmas is the most fun. Taking it all back down again yeah, is yeah, it's just depressing. Yeah, it is. Somebody should offer a takedown-only service. Yeah, just I, pick it up and throw it in the bin. Do you think it's too late for me to set that up as a business? No, do it. I've got weeks, yeah, right? Yeah, money in that, yeah. Um, are, you, um, are, you, are you good with neighbours? Do you neighbour? Uh, we haven't lived in this house very long, so we own we know two of our neighbours, but not any of the others. But I'm because I'm sure you've guessed by now. I'm not naturally very sociable, mm. um, so I'm not someone that pops in and out or would want anyone popping in and out. Our neighbours on both sides are great, and my wife will 
so she's she's given up now because we've been here about three four years but she would often say we should invite them round and I would say like they seem like wonderful people I really like them I really like you know if I have to go and pick a parcel up or if there's some 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 kind of altercation going on the street that we're all out looking at I, <laughs> I like I enjoy that or a doorstep chat but my my thing is like once you invite people in yeah, what if un- what, undo it no yeah. and what if one day you have a falling out yes i'd rather not establish a relationship with somebody than have a relationship which is is goes sour i completely agree also i think if i did invite them in what if they're the sort of people that then want to come around every day and mm. i think oh, it'll be nice to see each other once every 3 months or something which is about my ratio of <laughs> wanting to see anyone <laughs> and they're suddenly they're knocking on my door and i'm having to hide no that's no good. Time for Adrift with Jeff Lloyd and Annabelle Port in whichever order that makes sense to you, you are the one perceiving it in the computer simulation. Um, hi. So Jane, you've got a book coming out in January. I do. Given your issues, as we would call them, <laughs> how, how do you enjoy doing book signings? Uh, I don't do that many signings. That'll come as a surprise. Um, only because... I'm not I'm never sure how good a use of your time they are really because I think unless you're JK Rowling and you've got 4 million people queuing around the block or you can't sell any books in which case if five people come to have a book signed and they buy it that's you know that's your sales for the week I'm not sure how helpful they are to anyone really and I always feel like I'm not you know the most scintillating tap dancing company so I'll sign a lot of books in bookshops that they can then sell to people but I don't do many of the actual in fact I think I think generally people are doing them less and less I remember seeing Michael Winner I'd, I'd gone into um, Waterstones in Kensington to buy something and I saw Michael Winner sat at a trestle table with a pile of Winner's Dinner's books and nobody was paying a blind bit of notion, notice to him that's my fear the this, this was Michael Winner yes exactly <laughs> exactly so the horror of the thought of sitting there and absolutely nobody turning up is just too awful do you do stuff like book fairs uh, no, I haven't done a book fair. Done the odd uh, sort of event, at, you know, like a festival or something like that. Um, and they can be quite fun if it's someone, if you're doing a Q&A with someone and, you know, then you can chat to the people that have come to see you. Something like that I'm much more comfortable with than just sitting in a shop begging people to buy my book. This is good because it, it, it reminds me that people have it. So I'm, I'm about to ask the listeners for money. Ooh. And it's it's one of the worst things I do in my life. I was, I co-host a podcast with um one of the American radio hosts, Greta Johnson, the other week, and she was trying to teach me how to feel comfortable asking for money, saying, well, people listen to the podcast. It's their time. What's more valuable than their time? So just ask them to show their appreciation financially. But I, I want to die every time yeah. I do it. And every week I say that I want to die. This isn't a new thing. But um, it could be worse. I could be sitting in a branch of borders. Yeah, at least they can't see you while you're asking. Yeah, you can see me and it's very uncomfortable, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah, it looks very uncomfortable, but yeah, at least you're not exposed. And I feel like everyone coming in thinking, looking at the book, knowing it's me and thinking, ha, everyone's <laughs> queuing up to buy her book. So, yeah. Yeah, that must be bad if people come up to where you're sitting, look at the book and think, I don't think so, and walk, <laughs> walk away again. Exactly. I had a thing years ago with... Um, I had this girlfriend who was really mad on Sean Hughes mm. and she thought he was like really, you know, it was when he was very cool and he was like that first generation of yeah. almost like NME comedians, yeah. David Baddiel and uh, Rob Newman, all those yeah. people. And she she queued up in the Waterstones in Manchester to get a book signed by Sean Hughes and she's thinking he's this really cool guy. And at the time she was working doing data entry at a pharmaceutical company. Um, and she so so obviously... 
to make small talk, he said to her, oh, so what do you do for a living then? Which was a perfectly legitimate question. But she panicked and said, oh, I do something that I'm really ashamed of at the moment. And <laughs> I, I, But hopefully I won't be doing it for that long. And he left it at that. So she, she comes away and tells me what she said. And I said, he probably thinks you're on the game. Definitely. And we, we didn't have a good evening. <laughs> That's I guess slept on the sofa that evening. It was one of many. That's fantastic. I also find I forget how to do my signature <laughs> after, and I get real anxiety. Someone will come up, and or I get anxiety that I'm gonna they've bought a book and I'm gonna spell their name wrong. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, the whole thing is a massive panic. And also, what do you put in between two and your name? You're meant to put a pith, pithy little. So have you got a thing that you write? No, I kind of I, I veer between sort of love and yeah. cheers and enjoy. What am I writing enjoy? What am I writing that for? There's all the best, all sorts of. No, oh. Do you have the same problem with birthday cards and Christmas cards? I just sign them. Right, yeah. <laughs> I will sit there like somebody when I was at work. People would pass a Christmas card with all these names that people. Oh, would sign, you have to write something. You have to write something. I'd sit there and they'd be, you know, they'd be thinking, "What's he going to write? What's he going to write?" I'd be staring and I'd be trying to think of something. And then it was after about two minutes, I'd just write all the best. <laughs> The pressure, I just choke under the pressure. Yeah, so do I. Exactly. If I had time or I was away from everyone, I could yeah. think of the most hilarious. Do a few drafts. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Give it to my head, don't be yeah. um, Anyway, uh, I, I will just very quickly on, remind you that the, if you do want to support the podcast, you can go to Patreon, which is P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com stroke adrift. Now that you're listening, it's happening. Do you know it? Do you like it? When will you be here in the future? I will be here in the future. Adrift with Jeff Lloyd and Annabelle Port. Right, so here's the thing. Um, there's a cafe around the corner I take my little son to because it's, uh, it's full of toys and it will distract him. I, c- I can sit there for a few minutes and stare um, while he is distracted by toys and it's just just a wonderful thing. And the, the waiter there, I think he's the manager, he's so, so friendly. I, I like him. Um, we have easy rapport, which doesn't happen that very often for me in that situation. Um, anyway, so yesterday we are chatting and for some reason Twitter came up and he mentioned he was on Twitter. So I thought, I'm going to be magnanimous here. I'm going to say, oh, what's your Twitter name? I'm going to follow you. Oh, dangerous. Right. So I go to follow him. He's got far more followers than I have. <laughs> I thought you were going to say he was some kind of like racist terrible racist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, my goodness, that's hilarious. My cat has more followers than me on Twitter. Uh, yeah, and me as well. I looked at your cat earlier on. <laughs> it's like, see me. So I've, I've gone from this slightly patronising position and said, yeah, yeah, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to follow you on Twitter. I'll make you feel good about yourself. I love so, he's not going to follow you back. No, he hasn't followed me back either. <laughs> but... Um, yeah, you know this. This is something that I'm I'm constantly worrying about, like my um, sense of self esteem or, or um, perceived success, very much tied to the number of Twitter followers yes. that I have. So that's what I'm going to look at in this week's the incident. <laughs> Dr. Aaron Valak is a psychotherapist, broadcaster and writer of the book The Psychodynamics of Social Networking. I think what you're experiencing um, really isn't uncommon and uh, the, the language I would use for it is um, it, it, it pushed a button inside of you, didn't it? It really did, yeah. Yeah, one of the most natural things that people do is we compare ourselves to other people on a whole series of different measures and one of the things that gets us down is what's called negative self-comparison. And it can be anything, but social media has a particular power to uh, push the buttons of our negative 
self-comparison. So in short, the solution is to widen out your view again. You know, what happens is your, your view narrows in this moment when your button is pushed to that comparison. But, you know, what else, what else have you got um, to feel good about in your life outside your Twitter, Twitter following? Yeah, not, not a lot, to be honest. Not a lot, to be honest. <laughs> well, you know, right now you're doing a podcast in which you're sharing your vulnerabilities with loads of other people so they can learn from them. I mean, that sounds like a pretty good thing to me. Yeah, I suppose. So, so you're saying I should feel good about feeling vulnerable? Well, consideringly, considering how quickly you dismissed my appeal to you to find something good about yourself, I would say, yeah, you could probably take a little bit more time to take it seriously <laughs> and think, you know, what, what is it? You know, what is it that's going right? What about doing something like completely drastic, like taking myself off social media? Would I ultimately feel happier if I didn't have that metric uh, stare, staring at me in the face, reminding me of my position in comparison to my peers or the fellow who works at the local cafe? Yeah, well, look, lots of people are making this choice. And the advice I give in this situation is that if you regularly monitor how you feel when you check your social media, when you're coming off your social media, and if you're regularly feeling worse coming off it than better or neutral, then it is time to reassess how, how much you're doing it. But what would I do with all that time when I'm otherwise just obsessively checking Twitter? You'd be surprised what can what can emerge. What what unfinished goal is waiting in the wings for you? Do you think? Oh, I mean, my, my whole life is just one unfinished goal. <laughs> See, maybe, there you go. <laughs> maybe Twitter. Maybe Twitter is is the culprit. I think um, I think it serves as a as a huge distraction, and I wonder how many you know uh, great works of fiction aren't being written because people are on <laughs> on Twitter or or various other things, even just getting to the gym or having a nice walk or a. A date with a loved one, you know. I think there there are lots of um, more fulfilling things that could fill up that space. Yeah, just just think what Donald Trump might have achieved if he wasn't spending all that time on Twitter. He could actually be president, so maybe maybe it's a good thing. <laughs> maybe it's a good thing he's on Twitter and, and legislating a little bit less. <laughs> Alan Cochran is a comedian who doesn't have a Twitter account. There's a few ways that we can go at this problem solving for you, isn't there? I feel like we can either attack the Twitter problem or the self-esteem problem. <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I think the Twitter problem might be easier. Well, I feel like one might feed into the other and then back. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I, I mean, I don't know. The, the thing for me is it is a bit like giving your email address out for people to call your names, and I don't really want that. Right. Um you know, I, I'm. This is going to sound like I'm a very worthy artist, but I'm. I'm in stand-up, which has has a really immediate feedback loop. It's either working or it's not, and you know, there's about three shades in the middle of that that you can kind of go, oh, it's a work in progress. That bit will be better tomorrow. Um, but really, if if it's working, you know, it's working as a comic, and I kind of I like to use that as my judgment. I don't read any press. I don't. I don't often ask people what they think of my stuff. I just, just do it until... Just out of interest, how much, how much press do you think there is? Do you think it's weekly? Um, well, I I don't... I actively don't go, out, don't go out of my way to find that out either. This but is great, weirdly, because from your position, you could be on the front page of the Daily Mirror every day. You just don't know about it. Yeah, I mean, there might be a media furore <laughs> about me that I'm completely unaware of, uh, which... But the thing I like about Twitter is the way it was set up like wasn't it originally about bird song because you know the birds sort of sing oh i'm sitting on a wire 
Yeah. And it's all kind of in the moment stuff. So the bit that everyone makes fun of Twitter for, or used to five years ago before it was about arguing, um, the bit that everyone made fun of it was, oh, I don't need to know if someone's frying sausages in their house. But, and I think, well, no, that's exactly the bit that I find interesting. <laughs> I love I love the mundane detail of yeah. people's lives. But that's sort of what my stand-up is about to an extent. Yeah. Um, so I don't really feel a huge need to put that on there. Um, and actually, I think, uh, you know, it – it's not great for the ego to go on there and get into that kind of um, numbers battle because there's always going to be somebody bigger or better than you at something. So, I mean, I'm not that competitive, essentially, Jeff, is one of the things here. So, And I'm certainly not going to compete with a local waiter in a popularity game that I didn't know I was involved in. <laughs> <laughs> This is my friend Chris Addison. He is very active on Twitter and has loads of followers. First of all, I think the, the nice thing is that normally what feels makes you feel better about yourself and when dealing with a, a waiter is when the waiter talks to you and you realise that you don't want to be in the conversation, you have to go and hide somewhere and then you have to change cafe. Yes. So I think it, I think you're growing as a person. But it's <laughs> something else. So that's a nice thing that we can take from this already, isn't it, before we've yeah. even got to the actual subject of the conversation. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> um. So, well, can you sort of give me some more details? How many how many Twitter followers do you have? I've got thirty three point seven thousand, which which is meager. You know, the reason I wanted to talk to you is you were one of my by far more successful friends, and like every day, that's a metric now. For many years, I just sort of had a sense that you were more successful than I was, and 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 these mm. days, I have it as a, as a clear metric. It's there in numbers. <laughs> But you're only, but that's it's also that's only one demographic, of course. That's the Twitter demographic, yes. which is howlingly angry people. Mm. Uh, so amongst howlingly angry people, um, I, I, I am more successful. Maybe, maybe you are. Your demographic is more Instagram or or Snapchat or one of those places where people. Yeah, I mean, I am on other them. platforms, and the, and the data yeah. would suggest otherwise. <laughs> Are you, are you perhaps suggesting there is a, as an as yet uninvented platform on which I could reign supreme? Well, yes, and and not only that, you are now in the you know you you are going down one route of modernity with this now that you've abandoned uh, radio broadcasting by means of large aerials on on hills mm. and uh, and gone into the world of podcasting and so forth. You know, you're already you must be making this sort of uh, contacts who can allow you to build such a platform. Yes, um, this reminds I, I, me. You used to have a line in your routine about expats. Oh yes, yes. Well, there are people who um, uh, who, who run, run away to escape the class system and then rebuild it where they go, but with them at the top. Yes, which is something it's kind of ones. what you're suggesting I should do with a social media yeah. platform. You should make your own version of Twitter, <laughs> <laughs> like maybe some sort of portmanteau of Jeff and Twitter jitter, yes, uh, which seems perfectly appropriate. Uh, and you should. You should build it from the ground up and you should, and you, you know, you can, what, how about this? If you sell it as, as, um, as a moderated platform. Mm. So in other words, 
not that the conversation would be moderated, but that you that there's a gatekeeper. So somebody somebody is saying yes, you can come in. You can't. You can't come in. Yes. Um, and that would allow that because I think that's what a lot of people on Twitter would quite like. They'd like somebody to do some quality control. Somebody basically to build an echo chamber for them. Right. So that so that uh, that they can. There you go. Call it the bubble. <laughs> <laughs> Call it the bubble, and then people can all go in their bubble. And uh, yeah, but it also it allows you ultimately to make sure that oh, that you have you have the most followers. Yeah. You can kick off anyone who, who outstrips you. This is this is a great idea. I'm the I'm the bubble yeah. master. You're the bubble master. I think that that's that's the way forward. Um, what intrigues me is that obviously you know you have had a very public platform for for a long time in which to be able to attempt to build. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> Twitter fan base. Yes. What What is your What is the the your waiter's friends platform other than you know Twitter itself? I don't know. I mean, he's very he's very chatty, and it's a popular place. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm imagining how many people do you think? Because you're saying to you you have thirty three point seven. We've never got to how many he's got. How many? Like, he it's got? around forty five thousand. I can't bring myself to look at his profile again. Is it possible that he uses the platform in a specifically, you know, in a different way to you? It's, in, it's interesting because his tweets are largely in Turkish, so it's difficult for me to know. Oh, could it be that he is an exiled governmental leader? Yes. For example, or I mean, could, I don't know. I mean, I, I know Turkish... that I don't know much about the political situation in Turkey. It's a bit dicey from, <laughs> from what I can tell <laughs> scrolling through Twitter. <laughs> Okay, you think maybe he's on the wrong. He he he, um, he fell foul of the Turkish Spring. The Turkish Spring. Was there a Turkish Spring? I don't. I think. I think. I don't think there was, mate. <laughs> I, the, lost, uh... I lose track with all the springs. <laughs> and that that is the problem, isn't it? It was frankly when it was just the Prague Spring and that one by Vivaldi. That was fine, <laughs> but now they're now they're everywhere. You can't you can't turn around for springs. They'll have your eye out. So there's. Yeah, so I, I wonder. Maybe he's because there are people who've become, who became sort of Twitter stars here, or were big because they were just very, very funny. Maybe he's just an extremely funny man who's uh, who you know throws out his bomb nose, yes. and and that has and and uh, in that and that has hit big in Turkey. So what I'm suggesting you do now, this as another plan, is that you need <laughs> you need to. Every morning, dedicate a couple of hours to writing tweets. So maybe the first hour you could be warming up. Yeah. To write a couple of limericks. Yes. Um, maybe just say something snippy about Theresa May mm-hmm. uh, and so on. Don't you know, just junk those. Just running the brown water out of the tap, and then <laughs> and and then you <laughs> then you're into the good stuff. You've you've warmed up. Come come with two or three. That you're really happy with. I mean, I'd, I'd write fifteen, and then you know, and then and then and then yeah, just. Yeah. Pick the two or three that you like best. Then <clears throat> go next door to the room where you've where you've assembled your phalanx of translators, <laughs> um, and have have them all translated into the various languages yes. that you want that you want you know yeah. people to to follow you in. Yes, well, and then you're going to end up with a, a much much greater global reach. I'm going to start with the Pitcairn Islands and and, and work my way out. <laughs> well, what, they, what I don't, off the top of my head, I'm afraid to say, know what the language of the Pitcairn Islands is. I imagine it's a quirky form of English, a heavily accented form of English. Yes, I mean in these days of Brexit, that's really how we think. 
That's really how we think of all other languages, don't we? They're all quirky versions of English. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Please join me in this bubble that has been forever locked in the glass by the blower. It's it's their breath. It's horrible. Adrift. Jeff Lloyd and Annabelle Port. Got an email here that relates to something we were talking about on last week's podcast. It comes from Lucy Pepper, who says, Dear Jeff and almost back Annabelle, who in uh, this instance is the part is played by Jane Fallon. Um, Lucy says, I was listening to Jeff talking to No Not That Michael Douglas just now about kissing abroad. Here in Portugal, it's much more complicated than two kisses. The rules are the following. Everyone kisses everyone else, friends, family, new acquaintances, the president, dead people, everyone except, for example, the electrician who's come to fix the fuse box. Yes, I did that once. The the number of kisses varies, though. Normal mortals kiss each other twice, always starting on the other person's right cheek. They always start on the right, which is why I hate kissing people in Britain, because no one ever knows where to start. However, if you're extremely posh, or you want to be seen as extremely posh, you only kiss once. The nastier posh leave we commoners dangling. The nicer posh sometimes deign to reciprocate a second kiss, but only if they feel like it. Uh, I used to be left dangling, lips puckered over someone's shoulders all the time, until I learned to kiss kiss swiftly and forcefully. Um... (laughs) Possibly is a nice word to use with it. <laughs> yes, <laughs> kissing, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, so they don't get a chance to get away. Or if I'm left dangling, I whisper a big tut as they walk away. Luckily, tut is almost the same word in Portuguese, so they understand perfectly. I don't get invited back, but hey, yeah. I mean, I'm very much of a... I, th- I think it was George Costanza and Seinfeld um, would much rather we just bowed like the Japanese, no actual <laughs> physical contact. See, I am quite a huggy person. I, me too, but I sometimes just do it to close down yes. the kisses. But mm. the amount of time I'll see somebody, I don't know if it happened when you walked in today, where I go in for the hug and they've gone in for the handshake. It's all gone wrong. It, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. all gone wrong. I used to work with someone who used to kiss people, like random people, you know, like the way you kiss acquaintances, not your best friend, mm. on the lips. Oh. I found that very odd. Yeah, I, I, I've got this thing that I don't think it's normal to kiss anybody apart from your partner on the lips. Yeah, no, I think that's true. Like my wife will kiss the baby on the lips and I even get a little bit grossed oh, no, out by that. <laughs> I get a little bit grossed out by that. I'm just happy to stick with the cheek and anywhere else but the lips. <laughs> but not not acquaintances. That's, no. And that really freaked me out. I once accidentally got Denise Van Outen's earlobe in my mouth. Oh, the amount of earlobes I've gone for. It's really yeah, bad. Yeah, 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 yeah. Terrible. Like bits of, or when you go for a kiss and they don't and you get a mouthful of hair or something. <laughs> yeah, zero touching. Yes. Is, is yeah, the way we should go. Yeah. Jeff Lloyd and Annabelle Port are adrift with you, which is saying something about you. I want to ask you about um, faking friends. Now, this comes out after Christmas. It does, January the 11th. I, I, I mean, I'm not in the book world, 
But it occurred to me that sometimes if you put things out before Christmas, they might get given as Christmas presents and you could sell more copies. I think that's definitely true. But I think that probably counts more with books that are more gifty books. So autobiographies, tie-in books with TV shows and stuff like that. Um, people tend to gift those books a lot, but I don't know that people gift novels so much. Aha. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I think I've gifted novels and then I'm I'm now worrying that I've given a bad gift. No, I think people would be thrilled. I'd be much more thrilled if someone gave me a novel than, you know, an autobiography of some football pundit I'd never heard of. Or Although there is something terrifying, I think, just generally about giving a, uh, giving a book as a gift. Yeah, yeah. It says a lot about you, what you, one, what you're, you think is really brilliant, but also what you think that person will be like. It's a bit like setting someone up on a blind date. Yes. So what what are you doing? Like two types of people, you're either saying, I enjoyed this so much. You're forcing your taste on mm. somebody else or you're second guessing what somebody else's taste yeah, would be exactly and you're yeah you're saying you're i think you're the kind of person who would like this which could insult them in a million yeah. different ways and then you're putting pressure on them to respond in a certain way also you're putting pressure on them to read it yeah at all which they might not want to but they're going to feel like they've got to talk to you about it later on how big is your pile yeah huge yeah 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 huge i never get through it i used to be such a voracious reader and then they invented twitter oh no i can't be without a book i can't be anywhere without a book i have books on my phone which i swore i would never do and it's not the ideal way to read but it means you're literally never without a book am i right in thinking like reading an interview once that ricky has only ever read one book and it was catcher in the rye one novel yeah does how does that go over in your marriage when you've written a book then do you not get him to read it well no because he doesn't read fiction and he did once say early on in my career he said oh yeah yeah i'll read one of yours and i said well don't read it next after catcher in the rye like read something a bit rubbish in between because that's not fair (laughs) Because um, my, my wife's written a couple of books, not fiction, but mm. like essay, humorous essay um, collections. And I remember like she would want me to, when she'd finished the fight, I'd look at it as she was going along. But when the final draft was finished, she she wanted me to look at it. And it took me a few days, maybe even like a week to get around to it. And that caused a right old stink <laughs> in our marriage. Because, you know, I See, guess... I just don't have that expectation. So we avoid that argument i suppose so who is your person who you would get to look at something apart from like professionally from an editor the own literally the only person because the one the thing I, not the one thing the one of the things i really love about writing novels is it's complete tunnel vision you're completely on your own it's absolutely what you want to write i love that. after being in tv for so long which is so kind of collaborative mm. um so i'm not really looking for anyone to give me an opinion is the truth until i give it to my editor but i always give right near the end i always give a copy to my best friend the main reason I give it to her is because she's so lovely that she will never say anything other than, oh my God, it's brilliant. Which at that point, when you've been, you know, your head's so into it and you don't really, can't see the wood for the trees, it's really nice to hear that, whether mm. or not she means it or not. And, you know, I, I never know. But um, but she never then tries to force a, another opinion on me or, you know, comments on me or whatever. And I like that. I don't want them really. And how often do you get that thing where you get to the end of what you're writing and you go back at what you look at and uh, look at what you wrote at the beginning and think, oh, this is just shit. Oh God, all the time. And also because it, because your story evolves so much as you write. So you could just keep going back. And I think a lot of people do this. And I probably did this in the early days before I got a publishing deal where you just keep going back and rewriting from the beginning, rewriting, rewriting, re- and you never actually finish the book. So I just plough on till I finish the first draft just to know I've done it, which means that often the beginning makes no sense with the end because the story's changed completely. I've changed what the characters do. Sometimes I've changed what their names are, so I don't even know who I'm talking about. So, yeah, I look, when I give my editor a first draft, it's really like a third draft. Probably. Why would you change? I know we talked about names before when you are on the radio show, but why would you change a name at that point? I don't know. There are reasons why it suddenly feels wrong for that character. Sometimes it's a sort of rhythmic thing that you like the sound of something. 
couple of times I think, oh, God, no, I've just realised I had a character called that in something. Sometimes you'll realise they're coming a bit close to someone you know who maybe has that name and they might think it's them, um, which is obviously always a fear. Yeah, there's all sorts of reasons. Sometimes they just don't sound right in your head. And are you at this stage now, if it's coming out in January, it's now December, are you at this stage where the publisher sends it out to the very enthusiastic people who write Amazon reviews? Uh, well, I say enthusiastic. I think what they are is enthusiastic reviewers rather than givers of enthusiastic yeah, reviews. Yeah, because exactly, they seem to yeah, me like they're giving out. the books to the craziest people out there who are drunk on power, <laughs> and and then those it are the ones scary. that set the tone. It is quite scary. It's scary if you get. It's scary when you get reviews go up on things before the books actually come out because you know it's only a very specific people who are reviewing, not your general people who might buy you anyway. Mm. So that is a bit traumatic. But I just have to keep my head down at this stage and not really. You wouldn't engage with those people ever. Oh, God, no, no, I wouldn't engage. No, because what's the point? They don't like it, they don't like it. I mean, it's more annoying when if they don't like it and it's, you know, for a ridiculous reason. Or I I remember having one early on that just made me really furious because it was like, this, why does she contradict herself? On page so-and-so, the cat is a tabby and on page something, it's black and white. And I was thinking, no, it's not. (laughs) And I looked and it wasn't. Right. Not not that, I mean, what a ridiculous thing to pick up on anyway, but also it wasn't true. But there's no point. That's in so frustrating. So frustrating. You just want to kill them. Um, what's what's this one about? It's been betrayed by a friend, right? Yeah, this one basically is. It's a woman who she's an actress and she's been doing a job in New York for the last seven and a half months, um, and she's got a best friend that she had since she was eleven. And she comes home for various reasons on a surprise weekend for her boyfriend, and she arrives home when he's at work, walks into the flat, sees another woman's. She hasn't been home for a couple of months sees another woman's bits and pieces around the flat so she and he doesn't know she's there obviously so she just retreats and decides to try and find out what's going on and subsequently to try and mess with them without them knowing that she's found out about them and it turns out that it's her friend that he's seen. how long did you have that idea in your back pocket uh actually not long that one um i've i was thinking about the toxic friendship i think we've all had toxic friendships that some point and for some reason I remembered this thing that happened to me when I used to be one of sort of three best friends and two of us no my mum would always say to me as a kid don't play in threes don't play in threes yeah yeah absolutely true you someone will get left out but two of us are still like best friends and and we had another friend and uh I'd known her for years and she knew that it'd been my lifelong ambition to write a book that all I ever really wanted to do blah blah and I hadn't seen her for a few months because we were both really busy working and uh we had lunch and I said to her, oh my God, I can't, like, you're not going to believe this. Penguin have picked up my book, so I'm actually going to have a book out. And she couldn't even for one single second give me any kind of a positive reaction. What she did was say, oh, it's not going to be chiclet, is it? That was her immediate reaction to the best news I'd ever had in my life. And I just thought at that point, you're not my friend. That's terrible. Yeah, it was really shocking, actually. I mean, have some jealousy on the inside, but don't don't let it out. At least, you know, even a flicker of it and then smile. And I said, well, you know, it's women's, it's relationship fiction. It's not chick lit, but it will get get put into that category because it's a relationship book. And she went, oh, God, is it going to have a pink cover? (sighs) Yeah, and that was the end. And I I never, I basically, after that, I didn't do the whole, what you would now call ghosting thing, Mm. which is kind of a bizarre thing in itself. But I just retreated and retreated and I stopped responding to her when she asked to meet up and stuff like that. And Have I you just, named a character after her? I haven't, but I've <laughs> based some characters. On some that. attributes. Yeah. Uh, so that's out in January. And then have you got another one ready? To, you, you no, got something? Ready, so, no. so we're not right, but, but you've got an idea ready. You've got something. Uh, I've got the very germ of an idea. 
that's bubbling around in my head. And I need, I'm gonna, basically, I've got to start writing that in January. Do you want to buy my life rights? Do you know the amount of people that say that? Oh, God, I've had a really interesting I life. haven't, but I could <laughs> really never... do with selling my life <laughs> rights. <laughs> they never have. Oh, they always say, oh, you couldn't make this up. No, I could. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't want to because it's really boring, but I probably could if I put my mind to it. Jane, thank you so much for doing this. Pleasure. That was our podcast. Thanks to Jane for being such an excellent co-host. Her new book, Faking Friends, is out in January and all her old ones are available now from all good bookstores and Amazon. As I mentioned before, I'd love to hear from you. Share your story of being socially inept with me and your fellow drifters. Hello at adriftpodcast.com. Thanks to Man and the Echo for the backing music. If you are in the London area, they are playing their final gig of the year next Wednesday at the Windmill in Brixton. I can't emphasize enough how good they are. They're so great live and um, such a brilliant band. If you don't own the record uh, already, their album, Man and the Echo, you should get that. But um, treat yourself. Go and see them live in Brixton next Wednesday, 13th. Thanks to Emily Harrison for the incidental music during the incident. And my advisors this week were Dr. Aaron Ballack. You can find him on Twitter and find links to his books and stuff, including a new one called The Little Book of Calm, which is coming out soon. Alan Cochran, who's one of my favourite comedians, and you can follow, you can't follow him, I should say, on Twitter, uh, but you can hear him on Frank Skinner's radio show. And Mr. Chris Addison. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter, not that he needs the followers, Mr. Chris Addison. Vince Lynch and Simon Wilcox made our idents. Patrick Gunning and Iwana Babu provided technical support. Carla Gowlett took the photos and Kim Rainey made our artwork. Um, I really appreciate you downloading our podcast. And if you value it enough to spend time with us every week, would you be willing to make a small contribution to help keep Adrift afloat? If so, go to patreon.com stroke adrift. And finally, thanks to whoever it was that taught that shop assistant how to gift wrap. Adrift. Adrift. On to the podications. And thank you to you if you have sent in an email asking for a podcast to be dedicated to you. We've had a handful in, so hopefully it'll keep us ticking over until Annabelle gets back. But there's room for more. So if you would like one of these dedicated to you or somebody you know, uh, send an email and I'll easily get it done over the next little while. Hello at adriftpodcast.com. This comes from Brenda, who says, Hello, Jeff and Annabelle, or Annabelle's replacement, if she's still on maternity leave. Hello. Yes, so I'm me. Annabelle's still on maternity leave. Jane's gone. Uh, congratulations to Annabelle and her boyfriend. We prefer lover. She, she prefers it that way. Um, on their new edition. Uh, a little while ago, I took Jeff's advice and subscribed adrift on my friend Jorinda's phone. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And to my surprise, she actually started listening and our friendship survived. So now we both belong to the exclusive club of drifters who know another drifter. This is... I wish Annabelle was here to hear this. Um, I don't even know if she listens. I'm going to email her straight away. I might even ring her to tell her the good news. In fact, where's my phone? 
this could go wrong, but let's give it a go. We've tried things like this before, and it's never gone well. But um, Annabelle P. There we go. Let's give it a go. Put it on the old speakerphone. Is she there? Come on, answer. Feel a little rejected right now. Hi, it's Annabelle. Leave a message. When you finish recording, she let that ring to voicemail. Hi, it's me. Feeling feeling a little rejected that you let that ring to voicemail. I mean, I know it's possible that Rudy's asleep, so you're sleeping, or it's possible that you have company there, or it's possible you're in the you know you've got him on the teat and you don't have a a spare hand or or whatever. But feeling a little bit rejected. Be perfectly honest. Anyway, uh, I was ringing to tell you we got a publication from Brenda. She secretly subscribed to the podcast on somebody else's phone that somebody else was Jorinda. And guess what? Jorinda has started listening to the podcast and they're still friends. You wish you'd pick the phone up now, don't you? Anyway, um, I thought I'd let you know. And Brenda finishes by saying, I'd like to request a publication for her. She had a birthday about a month ago and she'll go up for a driving exam soon. Through this podcast, I would like to say a very late happy birthday and good luck for a driving test. Cheers, Brenda. See, Annabelle, see what you're missing out on? It's not just hearing this making you want to rush back off maternity leave. Left a pause there, I don't know why. Um, anyway, many thanks and all the best, best wishes. All the best wishes. <laughs> uh, many thanks and all the best wishes. See you soon. Bye-bye. Love to Rudy. There we go. Hung up. Oh, my God, I'm convinced she's just watching quiz shows or something and she thought, I can't be bothered. This is what happens in show business Um, when you you leave to go into the Wild West of podcasting. The other one I wanted to read out was from Marty, long-time listener, maybe the longest, I don't know, uh, who says, how are you doing, Jeff? I'd like a publication for my odour. I am a foul-smelling man. I can vouch for that, actually. I've smelled him. It used to bother me a great deal, but now I feel empowered knowing I can repulse other human beings just by coming near. Thank you, Jeff. Best. Marty from New York. So there we go. Uh, It's the latest edition of the podcast, dedicated to Marty, or specifically Marty's odour, and uh, and to um, from Brenda to Jorinda. And there we go. If you would like a podication, email hello at driftpodcast.com.